couple days ago, we were discussing something to do with our fathers. And it may have started with the snacks that they chose back in the day. Mm-hmm. And again, things change, things evolve through the years. And I know everybody's dad wasn't the same back in the 70s and 80s. And, you know, for your case, I'm not sure what your dad was up to when you were a kid and what he was eating and all that. Did he eat all the stuff that we talk about, though? The Vienna sausages and sardines? Yeah. Yeah, he was into both of those things. <laughs> he sure was. Okay, why did that go away? I don't know one dude when I walk into their house that's got a cylindrical canister of Vienna sausages. Well, this must be looked at as due to one thing and one thing only, and that is the natural evolution of the species. <laughs> <laughs> you may be right. I, I am. Well we got played. smarter. Yeah. We got smarter. Our, our tastes evolved. How long has it been since you rolled out a nice can of sardines? The thing is, though. Have you ever had one? I've mm. never had a sardine. Neither have I. Now, I have because they were always in the house. Mm-hmm. Dude, there have been plenty of times where I've pulled the tin off the, the damn can of Vienna sausages and Nash down on those. God, those are so nasty. Oh, God. They're terrible. Awful. And Awful. S- and don't even forget spam oh. and treat. Remember treat? Yeah, I do. I do. Now, that my old man was never big on. I don't, I don't remember him ever eating spam. <laughs> <laughs> man, those were huge back then. Well, and we're Fried bologna is another one, yeah, too. Now that, now, that I do remember. And I do remember others that they hung out with who were into spam. Well, one thing that I know we have not talked about is the dad sandwich. And this may have been exclusive to my dad. I don't know. But there were two things as a kid growing up that fascinated me about my dad. First of all, my dad was, was, you know, I don't know, 6'1", something like that. And he was always real skinny, Mm -hmm. like a real skinny dude. Yeah. And, but he would eat, like, a ton. He was just one of those guys, one of those weirdos that he could just eat and eat and eat and never gain weight until he got really old. Like and my pig. <laughs> right. Right. And he's the dad that, you know, you'd be sitting there at the table. We'd all be sitting at the little round table having dinner together at night. And he would be he would finish all his food, and then he would just be looking at me. And not looking at me because he's like, boy, I love you, son. He's looking at me waiting to see when I'm going to be done. You going to finish that? So he can take my plate, tilt it perpendicular to his. And rake take it his, on. Take his knife and throw the whole, it, huh? the whole thing, whatever it was, <laughs> onto his plate. All of it. And I mean, like, whatever sauce or gravy, he didn't leave any of it. It is all on his plate. I don't ever remember my old man doing that. Oh, God. He would just generally eat all his food. <laughs> <laughs> but the two things that fascinated me about my dad were, one, his shoe shine kit. Anytime he shined his shoes, I had to be there because when you open up that kit, it was like magic happening. It was the most manly thing that you could be around is the shoe shine kit. Yes. And I learned how to do that at a very young age. I did, too. Now, I've not done it since I was probably 10 because mm-hmm. I've never had shoe to shine mm-hmm. in that regard. Yeah, it's hard to shine a flip-flop. <laughs> <laughs> but I love... Or you shine your foot instead. I lo- yeah. 
shine my hoof. Yeah. <laughs> but I love watching him do it. Just the smell when you'd open that thing up mm. and those old rags and the, the turpentine. Old, the old kiwi shoe polish. Yeah. Oh, God, I love that. My old man never had a shoe shine kit either. He didn't? No, nah, I think I think he got his done downtown. Probably so. Yeah. That was probably that era. Well, the other thing that I used to, and I would sit there and watch him do that for however long it took, 30 minutes, just staring at him. The other thing that I had to watch him do, and I, this only happened on the weekend because he went to work and yeah. had lunch at work, but was to make, I, I, whenever he got up at sometime between noon and 2 off the couch on a Saturday and wandered into the kitchen, I knew what was about to happen. It was time for the dad sandwich. And it time was, for hamburger. It was incredible. Because nowadays, you know, for me... A sandwich consists of, we'll go buy turkey or, you know, make tuna fish or something like that. And, right. And it's in, the, it's in the fridge, and you just run in there, and you peel off the top of it, and you grab a couple slices, put on the bread. Yeah, it's no big deal, and your kids probably don't think one thing of it, do they? No, and it takes me like two seconds to have a nice turkey and mustard sandwich, and then I wander off. A tasty turkey and mustard sandwich. Right. For him, though, this was an event. This was... Open up the fridge, and first, you scour what's in the fridge. What did mom cook yep. throughout the week? And you yeah. you have one arm, like an elbow, holding the door open. The other arm on top of where the freezer door is, and leaned over and just peering. Right, exactly. Trying to find what mom had made. No doubt wearing some form of khaki pant and white <laughs> yes. Hanes t-shirt. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, she would cook, I don't know, four out of the five nights, maybe five out of the five nights, and we always had leftovers. And so, and, and you know, back then, you would it was a roast. She would cook a roast. She would, um, she would make uh, chicken fried steak. That was a staple. Mm-hmm. And so... And, steak. And there was always, like, these things, that, these meaty things that were left in there. Leftover meat. Yeah, for two or three days. And so dad would go in there and he would first determine which meat he wanted. And he would get that out and open the Tupperware and smell it. <laughs> you yeah. can smell gotta it. Make, gotta make sure it's good. Yeah. It, it, ne- he never th- it never went bad. No, no, it never goes bad, but they still like to make <laughs> right. sure. You gotta smell it. Yeah. Then it's time to get all the accoutrements. And that includes an entire head of lettuce. Yep. An entire tomato, mm-hmm. an entire onion, an entire jar of pickles, mm-hmm. mustard, mayonnaise, salt, pepper, all of it. And he would lay it right there on the kitchen counter. And then, and then came time for assembly. Yes. And that's it, where you get interested. Oh, my God. To see him chop up, I mean, a whole head of lettuce. And, you know... I think the term back in the day was the Dagwood. Correct. Yeah. That was just because Dagwood, the, was that a comic? Was it yeah. a cartoon? Yeah, Dagwood was Blondie's husband in the Blondie comics. Yes. And he ate sandwiches that were like a foot and a half tall. Yes. Right. Dag- Dagwood was known for that. Yeah. And so he would cut up enough lettuce for nine people, <laughs> an entire tomato, and he would nibble as he's, like he would cut like a whole tomato up, have two slices yeah. of the tomato, yeah. but put salt and pepper on it first, of course. Of course. Eat that up and cut the lettuce up, cut the onion up. He would get 
the giant jar of pickles and he would cut the the like the big dill pickle into um, not the short way like into little circles yeah. he would cut it lengthwise right. genius spears yes yeah but he would make slices and then so you had all this out there and again this takes a long time and he's u- always using a knife that looks like that it belongs in some slasher film yeah <laughs> it's freaking gigantic for all of it this requires the big knife and lots and lots of time and effort. Yes, yes. And then he would get, he would put mustard and ketchup on both sides of the ketchup bread. Ketchup on a I'm, sandwich? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, mustard and mayonnaise, I'm oh, okay. sorry. Mustard and mayonnaise on both sides of the bread. I've known guys that did ketchup with it, too. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot the cheese. This is not, my dad Jeez. would not use, like, the uh, Velveeta slices, those American you know, the, cheese slices? Yeah, the individual wrapped slices. He wouldn't. No, he would get the block of cheese. You know what it was called? It was the semicircle, and it was called Longhorn Cheddar. Yes, that's exactly what it was. And my it, dad had the, the actual cheese slicer that had the little rolling thing on it and the yeah. wire. And yeah. He would use that. Yeah, those things are really cool. They're awesome. And he would cut up. And uh, by the you way. one of those now? But, no, I don't have one I don't of either. Those. By the way. At this point, there would also be an entire sleeve of crackers <laughs> sitting there. Yes. <laughs> and while he was cutting... Just regular the, old premium saltines? Yeah, yeah. And as he was would cut uh, the, the wheel of cheese... Don't tell me. He would cut off pieces of cheese and have crackers, cheese and crackers, while he was doing the other stuff. Yes. Yeah. This was his appetizer. Right, right. Right? Yes. His sandwich appetizer. Right. God. And... Then he would get, let's just use, it, in my mind, it was a like he would cut a piece of roast that looked like a football, and it was always the heel, you know, like yeah. the, the, the big backside right. of the roast. The yeah. best part. It's got right. that burn end on it. Right. He would, I mean, it was always, it looked like it was a foot high, and then on the other side, so there's like a glom, like a mountain of roast, and he wouldn't even like cut it up. Like, you just know, a slice of just roast. A, a chunk of roast. <laughs> and he'd just put it on there by the chunk, huh? Yeah. Like, it'd be one individual chunk, and then it was, then the lettuce, then the tomatoes, and I'm not kidding you, it's a whole tomato. And then onions, and then the pickle slices that he cut, and then he would take the roast part of the, the bread, you know, the, the yeah. it's on the bread already, mm-hmm. so he's holding the bottom of the bread, one hand is on Bottom. top of the roast. He flips it on top of where the lettuce, tomato, pickles, and all that other stuff is. And then it is the... Now, what was your mom doing all this time? She didn't give a damn. I don't know. She wasn't there. She didn't watch. She didn't care. But then it was him flipping it over and in one motion smashing it down because there's no way he could put his mouth around it. Yeah. And so he's mushing it down. Onto a, it's on a plate already, mm-hmm. so it's like all right there, and he's mushing it down on a big plate, and yeah, he's got all his crackers and cheese set up and everything, and then when it's time to eat, he goes in there and whips out the TV tray. <laughs> goes back to golf. Yes, yep. whatever it is, or it's college on. College football. Right. There, he, that man did not eat one lunch on the weekend that wasn't on a TV tray, ever. And I did take that from him. I, I still love the. We don't have any at home now. Yeah. But I mean, back 
before we moved to this house, I, we used to have those TV trays, and I loved setting those up to eat. But he would eat that, and then what he would do is he would eat the like the crackers and cheese, like the 9 or 10 that he made on the and, and it's a big chunk of cheese. He would eat that, but then he would have the big industrial-sized bag of Fritos. That was his chip of choice. And he would pour a damn good chip. Half Boy, that a, is a damn good chip. Half a bag of Fritos on the plate. On right? the plate, yeah. yes. And it's right next to the sandwich. And then I would marvel at the commercial quality of what that looked like. Like it belonged <laughs> in some sort of. It was a piece of art at that point. And I think that he felt bad eating it because I would just sit there and stare at it, knowing that I didn't want anything to do with it because I hated everything on there. Roast. Lettuce, tomato, onion, oh, I hated it all. Did he ever ask you if you wanted one? No, hell no. He knew better than that. But I, I, he was like, all right, here we go. And then it was just a matter of trying to consume this thing. Between that and the, the chunk of, he would, we would always save one piece of chicken fried steak for sandwich. Chicken fried steak sandwich. Yeah, they had, yeah you can sure. get one at Dairy Queen. It's called the Dude. <laughs> <laughs> It just sounds so ridiculous these days, you know? <laughs> Got to wrap it up. Anyway, it was the process was amazing. The, the da- I, I, It's ingrained into my mind, watching that man go through the process of having the dad sandwich. And you know what? I love him for it. It was nope. an awesome childhood awesome, moment. Man. Now, would he clean up all that mess or would just leave it? No, he would clean. Oh, God. Because no, that's a would, triage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. <laughs> Once it he's is. done. It's such a disaster area. <laughs> He would clean it up, or Marilyn would get pretty pissed off. But that is the tale of the dad sandwich. Ugh. Yeah, that's that runs fairly congruent with what I know, except my dad didn't do that. that that's more like something that I did. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I feel that's gone. Do you ever do that, Danny? No. No. Not at all. It's gone. I don't have time for that. All right. No, we really don't. Honey. Oh, my God. The ticket. We all sat down and we watched six episodes of a television documentary called Hip Hop Uncovered. And you talk about a world that you may think that you're familiar with on the surface as far as history goes, as far as how you got from point A to point B. You may think that you're familiar, but until you see this, I don't think you have any idea. I certainly had no idea because all throughout the history of this genre you kept hearing look this is a culture this is a culture this isn't about uh you know just something that everybody can do and everybody can mean and everybody when you sing certain lyrics it has meaning okay whatever yeah sure it's a culture no it's a culture and when you learn where this came from and you learn about the absolute abject poverty, drug use, uh, violence from where this all came from. Uh, my eyes have not been opened on something like this in a long time. Like it was jarring. I mean, yeah, it's 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 the thread through all six hours, right? Where where. No other musical genre has such a tie to, you know, the realities, uh, the streets, uh, just the the general community environment 
of uh, of which it came. I, I look, every musical genre comes from something. Yeah. They all come from some lifestyle, but hip hop as as told, you know, the story on some level of of uh, an entire culture that that doesn't always get told and and of course, much like a much like cowboy movies did to the west or cowboys back in the day some of it has been amped up for our entertainment and some of it is exactly as you hear and 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 so the the idea here and and Danny you may have a better handle on how best to articulate this for people who haven't seen it but but I would say the idea here was a a created series that is a is a bit self-congratulatory for sure as as anything like this would be especially in the hip hop world yes. which a, a lot of their material is very self-congratulatory absolutely cuz they're not getting props from anywhere else but it's an attempt to tell the story and i'm not even sure it's an actual narrative as much as a million little stories all sort of woven together as to how we got from there late 70s early 80s to here and all of the threads that tie it together but but in hip hop uncovered they're not even telling the stories of like the babe ruths of hip hop they're telling the stories of basically five or six people who had a very influential role that odds are you have never heard of i'd never heard of any of them i feel like i should have because tupac i guess in a pretty big song of his, reference one of the guys, and it got became real controversial. Mm-hmm. Haitian Jack, but the five As did Eminem. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm oh, that's trick, right, Trick Trick. trick, yeah, trick I remember that? I'll I didn't know who's Trick Trick. You yeah, know, you heard I, that song. No idea. I didn't know it was a person. <laughs> I also uh, had no idea it was a person who shakes down every act who comes through Detroit. Yeah, <laughs> which an impressive is, feat, which is wild. So the five people they focus on are a guy named Big U. From Los Angeles. Right, West Coast. Yep. Uh, Deb. And Bimmy, who are brother and, and sister. Yes. Deb and Bimmy, who... And mother of Waka Flocka. That's right. <laughs> uh, Trick Trick, the aforementioned Trick Trick and Haitian Jack. Yeah, Trick Trick's Detroit. Yeah. And Haitian Jack is... Haitian. Uh, New York. New French York. with yeah, Mike Tyson. Right. Like, right. yeah, that guy was uh, Brooklyn. tight with... Yeah, that guy was uh, Queens. Or Queens, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was tight with Tyson when they were kids, and Tyson's a part of this documentary. And to hear the stories of the depravity, the poverty that these people grew up in, it's nothing like you can imagine. And people talk about poverty around here, and you can see it. You don't have to go very far in any direction to find hardcore poverty. But when you compare poverty, what it looks like here, at least on the surface, to what it looked like or maybe still looks like in certain parts of New York... Holy crap. You're talking about a playground for children that is a a demolished building, a, a, almost a skyscraper where seven, eight, nine-year-olds, that was their park. Yeah, what I, got, what I got out of this was you basically had these five influencers of the genre, people at the impetus in, of, of the creation of this genre, which is probably the newest musical art form. It's the youngest musical art form out there. It didn't exist before, you know, 1975. Right. Um, And it does... These are the connectors to the streets where it comes from. And my understanding, the best of my ability, is that this art form 
sprang forth from poverty, which led to desperation, which led to easy money, being employable in the game, selling crack, selling heroin, selling drugs, and these people being directly connected to that. You talk about Deb, who who was running drugs for her father, muling heroin strapped to her chest for her father before she was even of double digits age. This is a life a life that these people grew up in. And, and there's no other option. And they were in that game for a very long time and used their money and influence to establish a lot of these artists. And There was no bank. The bank was the they, drug the dealer. The bank was the game. Yeah, that, that's, that's one because, of the... And, and, and it talks about how they segued to going legit, going straight, by being in the music business... Ex- with exclusivity and distancing themselves from the game, but it's like you can't get out of it. No right. matter how hard you try, you're still connected to it. Yeah, that's that's one of the allures, I think, but it's also one of the very unfortunate things. Like, what makes you super popular is the fact that these stories are so real that there is a list 50 names long of hip hop names that have been gunned down yeah in the streets so these are not cowboy movies the actors in cowboy movies seldom were shot to death in real life now i'm sure there are exceptions not 50 of them i mean and so so but but that that same thing corby i think is the allure to everyone like whoa these guys aren't playing dress up. This is yeah, this real. Is ab- yeah, this is real life for them. So I, I, I don't know how to reconcile those two things. Like, like it's obviously horribly tragic that so many young, talented voices, poets, artists, however you want to. I mean, Nipsey Hussle is 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 right at the heart of the you know the last couple episodes of of uh, what a. What a voice for a community and for a generation, and and uh, what a what a sad thing that he was shot down. And boy, this makes no sense. This is is, is such a waste. And how do we do this? At the same time, I, I'm assuming, much like Kurt Cobain, the popularity of Nipsey Hussle has probably multiplied exponentially since that day to certain parts of the world, aka maybe white people who really are into hip hop. Who didn't know who he was, perhaps on a certain level until then. Yeah, I, I was just guessing. One but. of the most telling uh, clips that were that was shown in that series was it was some type of paparazzi, uh, TMZ type reporter that was staking out Nipsey and put the camera in his face. It's like, hey man, how's it going? What are you? What's going on with you? He walks up to him and he's like, dude, not me. I ain't about that, dude. I'm a freaking crip. Yes, you know. And he said you that. Don't. I am a crip. Yeah, so you, as sad as that was and tragic to a lot of people, didn't know anything about the guy really before he passed away, before he was murdered. But, you know, it's a famous line. It looks like they died of natural causes, natural to the line of work they were in. Man. And it's imp- that's Whoa. the thing that it's impossible to entirely separate yourself once you start in that game. You want to go legit as, as a musical artist. There's still you're still you're in always it. connected. You're never, yeah, you're never out of it. Because what are you going to sing about? Yeah, I know. That's you're going to sing about it. what you know, and and, and that's are... what connects with people is singing about things that you have experienced, seen, felt, known, touched, heard, and 
to remain relevant, I guess they feel an obligation to stay connected to that life. Otherwise, it's not real. What are you? Think, yeah, about, and- think about the guys, though. Think about the guys that the people that they focus on, the five people they focus on who are now anywhere from 51 to 60, it looks like, 55, yeah. something like that. That's probably right. And, you know, they grew. they all grew up in the drug game. And they reached a pretty high level. A lot of them went to prison they all for did a, time. a good amount of time. Yeah, yeah. They all did time for uh, the the crimes they committed. And but then, I, you know, these people that they focus on, they do. They were in the game because they had no choice. They grew up in such poverty. They had nothing. And you know, you see it on the wire. It's just what makes money. You go over there to make money. Everybody that does that makes money, and you see that. But eventually, they want to get out of it. And they know that they've done wrong, and they know they want to, you know, pull themselves into some legit business. That's the only option they had. Partly to, because they know the life expectancy if they stay in that game exactly. is, 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 is right. It's not for long. But the but the uh, uh, juxtaposition of all right, now I'm going to get in this game, and this is where the violence came from in the '90s when everybody was getting killed or shot. You basically had drug dealers running. Million dollar, hundreds of million dollar businesses trying to make that transition, mm-hmm. and they couldn't. Right. They couldn't separate that. And you go back to the wire, and it's kind of like you remember when Stringer Bell was trying to go legit all those times, yeah, and yeah. and it's like, no, you're not one of us. When it talks about the music industry, yeah, you're never going to be one of us. Now, granted, Jay Z may have something to say about that. Yes. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's definitely when, you, when you're a billionaire and you've made your living for the better part of you know 30 years as as a hip hop artist, you you're, you're finally one yeah, of them. Dre is, Dr. Dre's Dr. Dre's a, a freaking yes. billionaire too. It's great to have some of the the big time voices in here like verifying these stories, like Dr. Dre and Snoop and and uh, so many people uh, along the lines who who have made it as actual artists, but. You know the thing about hip hop that also has appealed to me when I was a young kid just you know like I like I've said a million times my because people always ask well how does a white kid from Wisconsin you know like hip hop and I'm I'm not the you know I I'm certainly not skin or some of these other guys that were even way way more into it than I was at that age but like I said it was just it was my version of cowboy movies it was it was a fun escape to wonder what Life was like over there. And I'll tell you what the real appeal is with hip-hop that you don't see in other musical genres is in, if you if you like hear the backstory on certain bands, you find that it's some music manager who thinks these guys would all look good together in publicity photos. And so, hey, can you play the guitar? Because this guy can play the drums. Let's put you guys all together. You know, all the boy bands of the 90s yeah. seem to actually be... Like it, they went to casting. I think. Yeah. In fact, I think Harry Styles' uh, band was One Direction. weren't was they weren't they put yeah. together yeah, that, that way? Was created like Paint by Numbers. And in fact, was was Simon involved in that? Probably. Simon Kyle. I, whatever. The point is, this whole genre is is about kind of outing anybody playing dress up. Like, dude, I know where you're from, mm-hmm. and you, this is not you. You are, you are putting up a complete front about how bad a dude you were back in the street like like they it it's it sort of call your own files or we'll call them for you sort of thing where these are this is not a record company construction um 
I remember in the early days of uh, of NWA, like Dre was involved in like an R and B project or something oh. at a younger age. Oh uh, yeah, uh, very glam. They all dressed like the Revolution. <laughs> yes, you know, Prince's band. They definitely, it's hilarious. they definitely tried to take him down with this is what this dude's really about, and he survived it. Yeah, but but there's very few cases of that. The the whole thing with Fifty Cent. And uh, Ice T as well. I mean, he has yes. some some old videos and photos of him, you like, know, following those trends. Like, how about it was the eighties? They dress, people dressed goofy back then. How about the fact too that when you're in that those neighborhoods and you're hanging around with with people that are whose lives are gangs, drugs, you know, anything for a dollar type stuff. That how protective they were of the artists, saying. You're get not going. Of, yeah, get out of here. We're getting ready to go. You know, steal fifty cars. Or you're not coming with us. And so these kids that were sixteen and seventeen that were, you know, air quote in the game, they would never let them go far enough. Most of them, at least, you know, some of them, they couldn't avoid it. But they tried to keep them away from it because they knew that they could get out. And they, even though they were in the middle of, you know, some of the most hardcore violence and drugs that you could imagine. They knew that getting out was the ultimate goal and that these people, these young kids that had skills, mm-hmm. they wanted to protect them from... These young poets that had yes, rhythm. You because know, if one of cool them got out, voice. if one of them got out, in a way, they all got out. Is, yeah. is, is Haitian Jack banned from the U.S.? Yeah, he was deported. Okay, but yeah. he, he can't come back. That's uh, why they, That's why they went to the DR to get all his stuff? I believe so. But there were scenes of him with all of them. But they all were at the, I think that they were all the Dominican Republic. I think they all took him down to his house in the yeah. Is he even allowed in Haiti? Oh, yeah. Oh, he's in the Dominican. So he said he wants to, yes, he's allowed in Haiti. Okay. He just said he moved from Haiti because of the poverty. So he went to the Dominican well, and set up a sweet been spread. To the DR. I, 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 you know, there's a lot of poverty. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. on his side, though, yeah. it looks like money talks. Okay. Right? Yeah, no, he's, he's living his best life. But his, I mean, his house looks great. <laughs> It's just, dude, it was so fascinating to me to see this. And I thought he was the only one that was really over the top about how great he was. I thought... Big U is a legit I th- guy. I want to go give him a hug. I thought Big U and Bimmy and Deb and and to trick, a, trick. and Trick Trick to a certain extent. I don't know how you get the name Trick Trick, but I like it. Um, probably not for me, though. He liked it so much, he named himself that twice. But, right. uh, but they all were... Semi understated and let other people say how how great they were, but the whole trick trick thing, man, I would, I might be in for a spinoff on how that whole thing works. My my head hurt trying to figure out. So I go to Detroit to play a show, and I have to I have to pay a tax to him that to hear them say it, and I didn't. There's no way to account for this, but it then sounds like we take that money and we try to fund families that aren't doing well yeah it's a I robin think. hood kind of thing it's it was all very and we, very and we want detroit acts on the opening bill if yeah. you're going to come through here we want our bands on the bill there's a tax for for it's like a flyover tax almost dude the 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 poverty was so bad that one of these people deb when she was seven years old thought that her dad had a lot of baby powder upstairs and she went upstairs and put the baby powder all over herself. Mm-hmm. And it was heroin. And she OD'd just by putting it on herself and had to go to the hospital. And I believe every word of what she said. Oh, yeah. 
got shot five times. I mean, dude, it is so crazy. We are so white. I know, and and that's the thing Bob was saying. It's like it's the it's such a favorite of suburban white kids because they're getting you know that's that, that that's a voyeuristic medium where they're peering into the lives of these people that they'll never understand never touch prison. it's a peak in the mob yeah. it's a peak in all of that stuff that we're like oh the sopranos why, why do yeah why do we watch mob movies why do we watch yeah, you know thing. violent films it, it's it, the same thing it's no different than a but this is real right you know right my kids are so soft oh my god <laughs> Like, I want them to watch those first few episodes to see what people actually go through that have nothing. nothing. They have nothing. Well, there's a much bigger, much bigger issue of, you know, not necessarily how did our inner cities get like this, but how do they get out of it? Unscrewed. And, and how does, you know, how, how does everybody give a, enough of a crap to do something about it sort of stuff? Now that we've all seen this. I have a major recommendation, and this is a perfect companion piece. Like you were saying, Bob, that that, that uh, Hip Hop Uncovered didn't focus a ton on the artists unless they were in relation to the five right. key figures in in in, uh, in this series. Go to Netflix. It's a four-part series so far, and they may be adding to it, but it's called Evolution of Hip Hop, and it's hosted by this guy that does all the one-on-one interviews, and it's every... Region, it's every big player in the game as far as the artists. Mm-hmm. It is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It's called um, The Evolution of Hip Hop, four seasons, and I think they're each maybe four episodes each. So you can watch 16 one hour episodes of this and you will get so much information that is more of kind of like. It's more of the stuff that we'll be connect to and understand because it does have to do with the actual artists. Well, this is Hip Hop Uncovered on Hulu. Yes. And look at what we've done. It's Community Quick Hits next. You'll see. This. The Ticket. The Ticket. So this is why... Whoa. This is why older people should not be on Facebook. I got no problem with older people on social media in general, but we all know what goes on there that they are the first ones to be duped by something always. Yes. Always. This is true. Can confirm. Right. So, my no. mother-in-law, my sweet, sweet mother-in-law, she sent me a text on Sunday. That's hot. And <laughs> at 9.30 in the morning, and it said, hey, granted, she, I've known her for 22 years, okay? She knows exactly what I do for a living, all right? Okay. Uh, hey, did you really get up on stage and sing with the ticket band? Okay. And I was like, what? <laughs> you just said what? Yeah. Like, did you do W U T to make it even more of a what? What with the little purple girl with her shoulders, <laughs> right. hands in the air? I My, think that's what you got. Least favorite emoji ever. That yes, I will block you if you send that to me because it doesn't make sense. It's like I hate it. I hate it. Well, it's not supposed to make sense. It's supposed to make you laugh, not block them. Yeah. So I said, what band? question mark, question mark, are you talking about ticket stock? 
which obviously she is. And she says, yes, I saw it on Facebook. So she's answering her own question. She saw it. And then she's asking me, did you really get up and sing with a band? I'm like, yeah, I mean, we, we all do. We, we do it every year. For as long as we've known each other. <laughs> right, right, right. So I was kind of confused. I was like, yeah, I'll go, I'll sing a couple of songs every year at Ticketstock and Summer Bash with the Ticket Band. Right. And then I go, what did you see? And she goes, I can't remember the song. So I didn't cue her up anymore. And about 10 minutes later, I received, oh, here it is. It's called The Berm. B-I-R-M. So what I'm she, so confused. What she had seen Tom Sawyer? was Tom Sawyer featuring Matt Birmingham on drums. Someone had labeled it, whoever posted it on Facebook. The berm. The berm. Uh-huh. So her interpretation of me at Ticketstock singing Tom Sawyer was the berm. You were singing on stage with ticket band singing a song called the berm yes <laughs> man and there is the reason why they should not be on so especially facebook right ah. all of it and she's sharp as a tack dude yeah she's like the last type of human being that would get duped by something and she didn't get duped here but it's just the confusion right no, this, this is this is a widespread problem with Facebook, and it doesn't seem to in any way like relate to say an intelligence test or anything like that. Uh, like, like you just said, really sharp people fall for something because they legitimately think Facebook is infallible. It's it's the New York Times. It's uh well, I, right. and that's a bad example, I guess, these days. But um, my favorite was my wife's uh, sister. Falling for one of the uh, the hoax news stories on Facebook, which of course there's a ton of them, but uh, the, my favorite one because I can still she sent it to us and she's like, "Do you believe this?" And I'm like, "Well, no, I don't believe it because it's not real." But let me at least entertain the. It was the seventh grade teacher in Florida, I think it always is, that is. Uh, sharing sex toys with her class and uh yeah. there is do you believe this <laughs> she's <laughs> it, like the picture is so insanely ridiculous is it her holding just a giant <laughs> it dill? was it absolutely hey. was and uh and, and uh so she believes that that was like normal curriculum in this middle school in florida Dude. and of course you know, I mean, the ability to know that, like, Snopes exist or, like, certain, uh, you know, hoax busters or whatever you would say, uh, thankfully, there are a few websites that pretty much just try to fact check, fact check mm -hmm. news stories on social media to keep, you know, everyone over the age of 50 from falling for every banana in the tailpipe story that's out there. Right. Now, this how that relates to the ticket time wasters showing up in uh, her feed... I'm just glad that one of the most Write her out to a show. One of the most popular no. songs ever, ever, ever in the history of rock and roll in Tom Sawyer mm -hmm. has been reduced to the berm. The berm. By an eighty year old woman. 
And you know what? That's another thing. Try explaining the time wasters to anybody that doesn't listen to the station. Boy, that's true. You got it's that right. It's impossible. Oh, you have rehearsal tonight? Yeah. No. Well, where are you playing? Um, the, the Plano Center? <laughs> what is it? So you guys do a karaoke after... Uh, it's yeah. impossible. I just end up... Walking away in the middle right. of the conversation. You just need to send them next time a video of Jeremy Moran dressed in a <laughs> as Nacho Libre singing the Love Boat. Like this is it. This That's is all basically we do. it. Yes, this it is, really is. This is my band. In a nutshell, yeah. that encapsulates everything yes. that ticket stock and the time wasters We're, are about. It's like if the village people mated with gore <laughs> and had a baby on acid. That's the time wasters. Yeah, but if you try to explain it. I mean, it it's really, impossible. it really, yes, it should be a completely empty, you know, auditorium when this goes down. I can imagine, like, like you, for example, what, what, Bob, you're, you're in a band? No, no, not, re- well, <laughs> you can't do and it. And then, and then it's like, well, I'm singing backup on a couple of songs. <laughs> right. Well, what songs? Well, yeah. Surely a songbird of a generation. Like, wow, uh, I they, didn't know Bob yeah, sang. No, well, they pull me in and because they need my voice. The next thing you know, up in Wisconsin, like in his parents' circles, you know, Bob sings harmony on, uh, like, he's like this now. <laughs> really like accomplished this uh, performer. Yes. You should see the crowds. He sings on this hit song called The Berm. <laughs> <laughs> that everyone's talking about on Facebook. Gotta go. Real quick, yeah. I want to throw this out there to y'all. The 80-year-old, okay? Okay. Maybe, Same one? Super quick. Uh, just 80 and above. Their lack of understanding of rock and roll, because when rock and roll came about, it had already passed them by when they were 28. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, that, it doesn't exist to them at all. Yes. Because that was for a younger generation at the time. Right. They turned 20 in 1960. Yes, okay. and yeah. they were too late. That was too late to get on the, the bandwagon. They missed their window. Yeah, that's for another time. All right, let's start the show next.